Good evening. It is good to be with all of you tonight. God bless you. If you're visiting, we are very honored by your presence. You're our honored guest. I have been away, thank you so much, for three months on sabbatical. And with my return, now all three of the senior clergy have returned from sabbatical. So thank you for your patience in this nine months. And in particular, your patience and your prayers for me in this three months. I can assure you that I am well rested. I had noticed in myself last week that um, I was so rested that when people on staff were stressed about things, I was very cool about it. And uh, one of the things you have to learn about sympathy is that when people are stressed, you kind of want to meet them where they are and be stressed with them. Um, but I was truly so calm. Um, and, and again, thank you for your patience with us and for allowing your clergy to do this. And um, just in these past few months, it's been such a lesson to me how not only are clergy in need of sabbaticals, but the people we serve are in need of a sabbatical from us, um, which sounds funnier in my head than it does when I say it. When I was in seminary 10 years ago, I was sent to a week-long preaching boot camp for remedial preachers. Actually, it was for seminarians who were excelling in preaching, whose professors wanted to help us hone the craft. And for a week in Central Virginia, we woke up every day, celebrated morning prayer and the Holy Eucharist, heard spellbinding plenary lectures on preaching, and shared every meal with one another. But the real work, the gritty part, occurred in small groups where we preached in front of other seminarians from the then 11 Episcopal seminaries. So not in front of our own classmates, but people we had never known or met before. It was before unfamiliar peers that we bore our souls and personal articulations of God. After preaching my trial sermon, and here it is worth noting that the organizers asked each conference attendee to bring a sermon they'd already preached before for peer critique. One of my small group members took issue with a phrase that I had long used. Why must you say, she asked, that Jesus died on a Roman cross? Why not just say he died on the cross? Of course, I became very defensive. <laughs> and I responded something to the tune of, because it's important to name the particularity of evil when we can. If I were replying to that cohort member today, I'd change the word evil to pain. It's important for us to name pain and what caused it. It is important, 
helpful even to not only say, ouch, but to name where the pain is coming from. Whether said or sung, the Nicene Creed models this for us. Jesus, it says, suffered under Pontius Pilate. This places his pain, his suffering, his trial in a place and a time with specific characters. This is a time of intense social and cultural pain, isn't it? A few years ago, I was invited by Krista Tippett and On Being to participate in a public theology convening with leaders from Christian, Muslim, Jewish, and agnostic backgrounds. Imagine an agnostic theologian. The country was going through a particularly divisive election cycle. I'll let you guess which one that was. We've had so many now. <laughs> the first really, really divisive one. And Krista was concerned what poison that time would serve to our long-term body politic. She's a very wise thinker and writer. Included in our number was a sort of elder in residence, Ruby Sells, who survived an armed white supremacist attack in her teenage years in 1965 in Hainville, Alabama. Sells, who now runs Spirit House Project and has given her whole adult life to human rights, had a probing question for those of us attending the round table that I will never forget. Where does it hurt? She set up the question in this way, quote, a defining moment for me happened when I was getting my locks washed and my locker's daughter came in one morning and she was just in a state. So something said to me, ask her, where does it hurt? And I said, Shelly, where does it hurt? And just that simple question unleashed territory in her that she had never shared with her mother. She talked about all of the things that had happened to her as a child. And she literally shared the source of her pain. And I realized in that moment, listening to her and talking with her, that I needed a larger way to do this work, end quote. Amazing. Sustainable, just peace comes through not just acknowledging that we or others are in pain. That's a great place for it to start. Rather, the fulsome peace of death and resurrection, a peace that is not only an absence of conflict, but the presence of wholeness comes from asking, where does it hurt? And interrogating our pain at its source. This question cannot be asked lightly because if pursued, it will lead us down fulfilling paths of no return that will leave us as individuals and communities and nations more whole than we could ever imagine.
it's easiest when conflict arises, whether it be geopolitical or interpersonal, to assume where the conflict originates. Well, she just doesn't like me. Or they've been fighting for decades. This is just how it is. But when we ask, where does it hurt? We are breaking open the fortresses of rage, indifference, and contempt, and making room, as we said before, for a robust, sustainable, and just peace. In the latter half of Mark's gospel, our Lord asks a similar question. What do you want me to do for you? He asks this of a blind man. And the man says, teacher, I want to see. The question is important because the answer was known by the man alone. He was in no way bound to say, I want to see. As he could have easily responded with, I want the new Tesla Jerusalem edition. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> to ask, what do you want me to do for you? And where does it hurt? Offer self-determination and agency to the person being asked. And this appears to be how God's economy works. God will act with and through and for us when we are honest enough to pronounce where it hurts and what we desire. For a moment in prayer, imagine God asking you those questions. Imagine the tenderness with which God asks you these questions, the tone of God's voice, the attention God is paying toward you. In that encounter, God is saying to each of us that our pain, our concern, our worries, our preoccupations, they are seen, they are heard. Better yet, we are seen, we are heard. In the sacramental bread and wine, we will soon bless and share with one another. It is Jesus' body broken and hanging on the cross, whose outstretched arms announce, your pain is my pain. It is his risen, amorphous body, still bearing the marks of his passion, which says to us, wherever you hurt, I hurt. God, who lives in solidarity with us in every moment, never looks away from our pain. And when we are at our best as the body of Christ, we do not look away from the numerous, from the numerous pains and sufferings present in people and cultures, not our own. So, 
as we hold Palestinians and Israelis caught in the crosshairs of conflict in our prayers today and in the months and years to come. We imagine God gazing upon them and us, asking that probing prophetic question, where does it hurt? And as we hear the responses, we begin to imagine a more just world, a sustainable peace, a laying down of arms, a peace that addresses genuine grievances, a future that breaks with our bloody, unsustainable present. Amen.